I'm Jonathan Mosen and this is Mosen at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. On the show this week, plenty of iPhone and iOS feedback. Listener comments on the Envision smart glasses. Braille screen input gets a nifty enhancement and the Beatles get another remix. Mosen at Large Podcast. Welcome to episode 203. And 203 in the United States area code system belongs to Connecticut, a nice part of the world. And I think the area code is the bit that's quite close to New York. So welcome to those of you in Connecticut, a special welcome to episode 203. Quite a bit to tell you as ever this week. Let me start off by telling you my iPhone 14 adventure. I'm very pleased to report that my iPhone 14 Pro Max arrived. My window for delivery was between the 6th and the 13th of October. This is after the debacle of an experience I got when I woke up at midnight. I set the alarm. I woke up at midnight and I tried to order my iPhone for release day like I always do. But as with many people this time, it did not go well. But that's okay, as the old cliche says, good things come to those who wait. I woke up on the Monday morning, the 10th of October, to find that my American Express card had a notification to say that it had been charged the full amount for the phone. So I knew that good things were imminent. And then later that day, I got the official shipping notification from Apple with the tracking number, and it said that the expected delivery date was Wednesday the 13th. This was super convenient for me because on the Tuesday morning, my son Richard, who you will have heard on last week's episode, driving us around to help with the Envision glasses demo, he was graduating with his second degree. I'm rather proud of my boy Richard because his first degree is in broadcasting and his second is in audio engineering. What a chip off the old block, eh? We have a carrier here in New Zealand called Two Degrees. So I said to him that since he's the first Mosin banana to get two degrees, we should switch him to that provider. But he didn't seem to think very much of that for a graduation present. Bonnie and I went along to Richard's graduation on the Tuesday morning and I had my phone in silent mode, but pushing notifications to my hearing aids. And it said that the iPhone had cleared customs in Auckland. And I thought, that's nice. Welcome to the country, iPhone. And then it said it was on a plane to Wellington, where we are, the capital of New Zealand. And I thought, man, this is quick. I wonder if it's going to get here today. And then it said it had arrived at the facility in Wellington. And then the moment came when we were in the middle of this graduation ceremony. And it said it's out for delivery. And I thought, oh, no, they're not going to leave this there. They're going to want me to sign for it. And I might not be there. But things were on my side. The ceremony concluded. No delivery had been attempted. I went home, got some lunch, started the process of backing up my iPhone 12 Pro Max that I've been using for the last couple of years to iTunes because I always restore from an encrypted iTunes backup. And while that backup was taking place, the phone arrived. Brilliant timing. So I was able to get it out of the box and set it up. And of course, I did have to set it up as a new phone to some extent, because the phone was shipping with an older version of iOS than the one on my 12 Pro Max. I've been running the 16.1 beta on the 12 Pro Max. And if you try and restore that backup to an older version, it will not let you do that. So I'd already thought of this and I had the little profile 
in my iCloud drive that you have to install in order to get the betas. So I installed that using the Files app on the iPhone 14 Pro Max while the backup was still doing its thing on the iPhone and we were ready to go. I was able to check for updates and find the latest version of the beta there. While it was set up as a new phone, I did do some experiments with this problem I've had relating to voiceover being very quiet on a call. And I'll talk about that a bit later when we have some more listener feedback about voiceover being quiet on a call. So I thought, I'm on a roll here. I'm really efficient. I had the profile. I'm doing the update. This is brilliant. But it was all to come to a screeching halt, I tell you. Because when I had installed the iOS 16.1 beta and the phone rebooted, I could hear that voiceover was on, but speech was gone. There was no speech whatsoever. And I could flick around the screen and I could hear the voiceover sound. I could tell it was running. But could I get any response from the phone that was helpful? Not a sausage. Not a sausage. I couldn't use Braille either because I hadn't done the pairings yet for the Braille display. So the Mantis wasn't working. And I tried all the things, you know, I tried toggling voiceover off and back on again. I tried rebooting the phone, which you can do by pressing the volume up, the volume down, and then you hold the side button down and that forces a warm reset of the phone. So I did that several times. At least the iPhone did play its new magical shutdown and startup sound. So that was good. But I was stuck and I knew that the only way to get unstuck in this situation was to have sighted assistance in some form, whether it be through a camera or otherwise. Well, it so happens that I'm quite blessed to be surrounded by vultures. You know, there's this very elaborate system where the children, where the bananas, the Mosin bananas, why do I call them the bananas? Because there's four of them, you know, one banana, two banana, three banana, four. Anyway, they have this elaborate system for working out who gets dad's iPhone, and for that matter, Bonnie's iPhone, this year. And believe me, they keep score. And it was determined that it's David who was due for the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And it just so happened that David was in Wellington for his brother's graduation. And he was only too keen to take the old phone off my hands. And so I gave him a call again using Bonnie's iPhone this time because I had put the SIM for my account into the new phone that I couldn't set up. And I said to him, if you want your phone, you better come over and help me out of this bind. So he was over like a flash, he was. And he was able to get me through the update process that was remaining after the restore from the backup. And since then, it hasn't been a problem. But that was a really difficult experience. And I kept thinking, if I didn't have all of that family support, if I didn't have somebody on hand, it would have been really difficult. You may have been able to use a service like Ira to try and enter the PIN, but that would be quite difficult because the numbers on that keypad are actually quite small. So it was not a good experience, and we'll hear more about a similar experience later in this episode. The next thing I want to comment on is the fact that it's been two years since I had a new phone, and that's a long time for me. The last time I went without upgrading to the latest model was that I skipped the 5. I went from the 4S to the 5S, and this time I've gone from the 12 Pro Max to the 14. And the thing you really notice is how many apps that you're still happily using have been withdrawn from the store. And this is actually a disincentive for you to get a new iPhone, because if there's an app that still works for you and you're still using it, it's very difficult to keep that app around when you change your phone. 
And so the apps come down from the cloud when you install them. You can't store the apps in iTunes anymore. And then when the restore is complete, you look through your apps and you see one that says in iCloud. And that's the time that your heart should sink because you'll double tap and it will say this is no longer available in the app store. And do you want to delete the app? And really, in most circumstances, you've got no alternative but to do just that, to delete the app. It's pretty dodgy, really, because we've paid for these apps. And I'm fully accepting of the fact that sometimes developers move on. They take the app out of the store. They go on to other gigs. I get that. But I've still paid for the app. And if it's working on my phone, if there's not some change that's occurred to the operating system and I can still use the app, I should still be allowed to use the app. And Apple has taken away the ability to do that by removing the ability to back up apps to iTunes. It turns out that there is a way around this, and it's an app called iMazing iPhone. So it's like the word amazing, but with an I at the beginning, and you can find it at iMazing.com. This app, last I looked at it, and it's been quite some time since I looked at it, had some accessibility challenges. I'm not saying that we can't use it, but I am saying that it's a bit of a fiddly app. But that does allow you to keep backup copies of apps and do all sorts of other quite cool, deep things with your iPhone. So if you've used iMazing lately, I'd be interested to know how you find it, how you're getting on with it. Have you tried to talk to the iMazing people about just maybe improving accessibility a little bit? But Apple really should bring this back. It shouldn't be this hard. The other thing that it's useful for in an accessibility context, the ability to have copies of apps on your PC or your Mac for that matter, is that sometimes you get this scary announcement when you look through app updates. And it says something like, we've completely overhauled the app with a new look and feel. The app has been rewritten from the ground up. And you think, oh, no. And it's a leap of faith about installing the app. Are you going to lose access to something that you really care about, about something that's important to you? And in the old days, you could just back up the old version of the app to iTunes and restore the old version of the app if you ran into trouble. And you can't do that anymore. You can do that with this iMazing app. I still have my updates set to manual and I go through and look at what's new from the apps that I have on my phone. And when I first got the iPhone, it was kind of like Christmas every day because you'd be seeing all these major new features and they would describe what they'd changed or what they'd fixed. And these days, so often it's just the same blurb, bug fixes and performance improvements, but they don't tell you what's been fixed and they don't tell you what's improved. That's really lazy <laughs> and it annoys me. <laughs> rant, rant. But we really should have a way of being able to keep the apps that we've paid for. I fully accept that when they're out of the store, we're living on borrowed time. We can't expect Apple to keep iOS in a time warp. One day the app might not work, but as long as it does work, we should be able to install it on our new devices. Grr. Now, the one thing that is really cool about the iPhone 14 Pro Max is the battery life. I mean, seriously. On the first day that I was using it normally, after all the restores and things, because that's not a very good barometer of battery life when the phone's being busy becoming your phone. But on the first day, I had a reasonably busy day on the phone. Most of the time I'm on Teams, a little bit of Zoom. But on this particular day, it worked out that I was probably on the phone, the good old-fashioned phone, for about an hour and 45 to perhaps two hours. And I got up at my usual time of 5 a.m., 
I was playing my workout playlist on the treadmill. I did a little bit of stuff with camera-related apps during the day to identify things. I heard a couple of podcasts while I was eating lunch. I was really fairly busy with the phone, and of course, notifications were coming in. And the way that I use my phone is I don't have the screen lock. I put it on my desk. I have it unlocked. Brightness is set to zero. Screen curtain is on. But that way, I just hear the notifications coming through in my mixer. By the time I had been using it for about 12 and a bit hours, fairly heavily, the battery was still on 65%. And I'm now actually finding that I don't charge the phone every night anymore because I want to make sure this battery lasts. And we know, hopefully by now, that the best way to keep your battery conditioned is to keep it in that sweet spot between 20% and 80%. So sometimes I just put it on my wireless charger down here when it needs a charge rather than charging it overnight. Absolutely phenomenal battery life with this thing. Apple's done a really good job. It's too early to say too much about the camera, but I will make a couple of observations about the camera a little bit later in the context of when we talk about your feedback on the Envision Glasses demo. I haven't noticed a significant speed increase. I was really hoping that the problems I've been having with Overcast, where it is just so sluggish to use voiceover whenever you're playing something on Overcast, would have been addressed with a faster phone. But unfortunately, it has not been voiceover for me. It's just incredibly sluggish whenever Overcast is playing. I did have a go for a short time at setting the phone up as new just to see what that would be like. And again, to just rule that out as a possible way around the problem of low voiceover volume on calls intermittently. So sometimes it works great. At other times, it does not. And I was reminded just how difficult it is to get your own content on the phone in Apple's apps. This is one of the best advertisements for Android that you could possibly want. Why can we not have a situation where certain folders are exposed to File Explorer on Windows so that you can just copy your own music and your own ringtones and all those things directly onto the phone? It is really difficult to just do something simple like get your own ringtones into the phone. I mean, iTunes is an absolute bear. It is a horrible app. (laughs) And it's overkill when you just want to copy your own media. Fortunately, there is a third-party app for this as well. We've talked about this on the show before. It is an app that installs for both Mac and Windows. You don't put it on your phone. You put it on the computer that has the music you want to copy, and it's called Walter Pro, W-A-L-T-R Pro, and that does get around it, and it's a very nice app, and it's not too bad to use from a screen reader user's point of view. But I remember when I offered my iPhone something or other (laughs) some years ago to Richard, and the moment he worked out that he couldn't just copy his music onto the phone the way that he can to the Android devices, he wasn't interested. And I completely understand that. When I had the iPhone set up as new and I was checking out this low voiceover on a call bug, I did have a chance to play with the Dynamic Island, which I had to locate by touch on the status bar. It's sort of in the center of the status bar. And when you're playing music or doing certain things, the Dynamic Island is there. You can use the rotor on it. You can double tap and hold on it or triple tap on it and do things. And then I installed the iOS 16.1 beta and I was voted off the island. I was voted off the dynamic island. It became completely inaccessible. But 
As the little rubber band likes to sing, hang on, help is on its way, because the iOS 16.1 release candidate is out. That is going to be released very shortly. And the Dynamic Island is now fully accessible, not just by touch again, but also you can flick through the status bar and find the Dynamic Island right there. And this is very exciting because with iOS 16.1 comes access to live activities. And we talked about live activities on our various previews of iOS 16. The idea is that certain apps that you might want to update all the time with information can appear in the dynamic island so that you can look at contents that these apps are pushing and not have to go into the specific app. For example, I haven't seen it yet at the time that I'm recording this, but I'm hoping that Uber Eats and DoorDash and Uber itself, in fact, will all be pushing content to the dynamic island so that you'll be able to tell where your delivery is or where your vehicle is. Now, the Dynamic Island is exclusive to the iPhone 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max right now. So if you don't have the Dynamic Island, these live activities will update on the lock screen. So everybody will be able to make use of live activities. So it was good to get the 16.1 release candidate installed and get voted back on the island. It's a great device. The battery life for me is worth upgrading alone. I mean, you do get some battery degradation over time. My battery was at 86% of its full capacity after two years of use. And the battery on the iPhone 14 Pro Max is better anyway. So the combination of those two things, I'm really noticing the difference. And it's a very pleasant thing. I'll continue to play with the camera and use that in various conditions. But so far, so good with the iPhone 14 Pro Max after a bit of a dodgy start. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at mosen.org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. We bring you transcripts of every episode of Mosin at Large, and that's possible thanks to sponsorship from Numa Solutions. One of the cool things about the internet is that it connects us with the wider world. But another cool thing about the internet is that it can create places just for us. Mosin at Large is one such place, and another one is Cero. Cero spout S-E-R-O is a social network designed by us for us. Cero is available everywhere. It's on your smartphone, your Apple TV, your Amazon Echo, and of course on a fully accessible website. If you download the Cero mobile app from wherever you get your apps for your mobile device, you'll be able to sample some of the content free, and that includes this podcast and Mushroom FM. But paying a subscription to Ciro gives you access to a treasure trove of information, including newspapers, forums where blind and low vision people can discuss a wide range of issues, a handy accessible email client, and so much more. You have to check out all the features. You'll be amazed at how much is there. Go to numasolutions.com. That's P-N-E-U-M-A solutions.com. Access the products link and then choose Ciro for more information. If you've listened to my radio shows over the years, you will know that I'm a major Beatles buff, a serious Beatles collector. In the United Kingdom, 
They would call me a Beatles anorak, which is an extraordinary expression. But anyway, so I am very excited about the fact that the Beatles Revolver album is the latest album to get the Giles Martin remix treatment. This started really in earnest with the 1967 Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band being remixed for its 50th anniversary in 2017. There have been some other Beatles remixes earlier, including another version of the One album. It was a really interesting mix of the Yellow Submarine album quite a long time ago, in the early 2000s, I think, that came out. But this album project started with Sgt. Pepper. They skipped Magical Mystery Tour for some reason, but they've done the White Album, they've done Abbey Road, and Let It Be. Now they've gone back to Revolver. What's interesting about the fact that they've gone back to Revolver is that Revolver was recorded on a single four-track machine. The stereo mixes of Revolver are pretty primitive, and my preferred mix of Revolver up until now has actually been the mono version. So there have been some challenges around remixing this album because you've got so many instruments on the one track because they only had four tracks to play with. It's amazing to me to think that I'm using more tracks to put this podcast together than the Beatles used to make the whole Revolver album. Extraordinary. During the Get Back project, which New Zealander Sir Peter Jackson, not too far down the road from me actually, put together, His studios developed some incredible technology. I've actually got recordings of those Let It Be tapes. And when I listened to them, it was often difficult to hear what the Beatles were going on about because they knew they were being recorded. They knew that the cameras were constantly rolling, filming them. So if they wanted to have a conversation amongst themselves that they didn't want captured for history, they would just play nonsense on their instruments to mask their voices. And some of us who are into audio are familiar with some of this technology, like the dialogue isolate feature that they have in Isotope and various things like that. But Peter Jackson's film company developed some really slick technology where not only could they separate the vocals from the instruments, but they could actually separate individual instruments. When you can do that, and it doesn't sound warbly and horrible, then you have the potential to do some very serious cool remixing. And you heard that happening in earnest in the Get Back documentary. It's wonderful. As a result of that, Giles Martin, with the help of this technology, went back to the Revolver album and has done a remix. It's not only a beautiful stereo remix based on the Taxman track that I've heard that they've released as a teaser, it's also a Dolby Atmos mix. So if you've got a system capable of Dolby Atmos, you are in for a sonic treat. Now, here's the thing. Here's the deal, as President Biden likes to say. Friday, the 28th of October, is when Revolver is going to be released. We are very fortunate in New Zealand that Friday comes here before it comes to pretty much anywhere. And that means that early in the hours of Friday morning, when it's still Thursday for most people, I will have the Revolver album. And as I have done with all of these releases, what I'm going to do is jump on Mushroom FM, the home of the fun guys, and let you hear the shiny, pristine new version of the Beatles' Revolver album. I have the deluxe version on order, which means there'll be plenty of outtakes. And it's interesting, in Beatles' bootleg land, there haven't been a lot of outtakes that have made it out of Revolver, so we are in for some real treats there. But you'll also hear all of the actual remixed tracks on the album. But more than that, I'll explain the history behind some of the songs. 
What inspired the Beatles to write these tracks? What musical influences were at play? So if you're interested in the backstory, in the new mixes before hardly anyone else has heard them, then you'll want to join us for this Revolver special. It happens on Friday morning at 5am New Zealand's time. Now that equates to Thursday, the 27th of October at midday US Eastern time, 9am Pacific, and that will be 5pm in the UK. Now, if I haven't covered your particular time zone, panic not, because if you go to the Mushroom FM schedule page, the schedule is displayed in your own time zone. So to do that, head on over to mushroomfm.com slash schedule and you'll see it there, mushroomfm.com slash schedule. Hope you'll join me for a real special experience, the Beatles Revolver, remixed in stereo, and of course, we won't be playing the Atmos Mix because we don't have the technology to send you an Atmos Mix, but that's something that you can also look forward to. Some comments on our review of the Envision Smart Glasses from episode 202, and we begin in Edmonton in Canada with Wayne, who says, thank you so very much for your complete demo of the Envision Smart Glasses. All other demos do not have it set up for anyone to hear what is going on, but the demonstrator. The other mistakes are running speech rate at 100%, volume level at 10%. Admittedly, I do have a hearing impairment, and I am unfortunately slowly losing more hearing. I wish Envision glasses had things like LiDAR, autofocus, ability to take pictures and video, door detection, describe what's around you on the fly, etc. What can your iPhone do that Envision glasses cannot? Does the LiDAR make a difference? And I'll come back to some other questions from Wayne in just a second. To some extent, I feel like the LiDAR is very much a proof of concept in terms of the blindness use cases that Apple's putting it to. I think they're looking to the long term when there'll be some sort of wearable form factor that a blind person can use, and it will be exciting to see where Apple goes in this space. That said, there are some real cool practical benefits of the LiDAR's people detection feature. If you are on a bus, for example, and you get good at using it and you don't mind holding your phone out in front of you when you board the bus, so there are a few ifs there, the people detector is quite good for finding a spare seat, for example. The door detection feature is nice. Sometimes it gives you useful information, but there are times when I feel like it hasn't told me all that I really need to know. It can be a little bit hit and miss. That might be where you're holding the phone in terms of the level at which you're holding it. And maybe I would get a bit better with practice. Obviously, you've got some very seriously cool camera technology in the newer iPhones. And if you're talking iPhones with LiDAR, then we're talking about the 12 Pro upwards. So my amateur suspicion and opinion is that the iPhone is likely to work better in a wider range of light conditions, substandard light conditions. In fact, I have had some pretty impressive results with seeing AI and the iPhone 14 Pro Max pretty much in the pitch black dark. I've used it in the middle of the night just to see how it works, and I have actually been able to get some good results, whereas with some other apps, I have not. So it could be that Microsoft's a bit ahead of the curve in terms of taking advantage of the low-light features that are available in the new iPhone in particular, but perhaps iPhones generally. And as I mentioned in the review last week, for fine detail stuff it does seem that the iPhone has an advantage 
for example, you remember that when we were using the call and ally feature and I was talking with Heidi, she could see that I had Reaper on the screen, but she wouldn't have been able to tell me specifically what was on the screen to give me guidance about what it was doing if, for example, JAWS wasn't talking. But I guess that is the critical question, isn't it? If you've got a smartphone, be it iPhone or Android, what value are these going to add for you? And as I said in my conclusion, way at the end of that episode, for me, it's that it's hands-free. That's the key thing. And there are so many things that are difficult for a blind person to do. When you've got a white cane in one hand, you're using that other precious hand to open doors or even hold another bag and try and juggle that with opening doors. The hands-free thing is a huge bonus. But in terms of one specific thing that the Envision glasses can do well, that the iPhone struggles to do, I would have to say it would come down to that bit there where I was driving around with Richard and reading the signage out the window. That, to me, is pretty impressive, and I've not had that kind of luck with the iPhone. Wayne also says, What hearing aids do you use, and how do you connect to Bluetooth devices? Well, I've got the Oticon Open S1 hearing aids, they're a bit old now, and I think Oticon has much better options out there. I've had these for around about three years. I really like them. I like the Oticon philosophy, which is that rather than trying to filter out noise, noise gives you environmental clues, they kind of do this thing where they accentuate the right frequencies so you can hear what you need to hear. It's a different philosophy from some of the other manufacturers. But hearing is a very personal thing, not only because people's hearing impairments differ, but also because people's preferences just differ as well. So the Oticon work well for me for now, but the hearing aid industry's changing and improving all the time. I really admire people like you and Bonnie, says Wayne. Thank you for everything you do for the blind community. That is really kind of you. Thank you, Wayne. Just quietly, I hope she doesn't hear this. I rather admire Bonnie myself. We're going closer to home, at least for me, for this contribution, because we're going up to the Waikato in New Zealand for this comment from Dean Charlton. He says, what a fantastic demonstration of the Envision glasses you gave, Jonathan. Why do you need an account for the connecting of the glasses when it should be as simple as opening the tab on the iPhone to connect the glasses? There are a couple of reasons for this, Dean. One is that the account comes associated with a library of documents that you can store. So let's say that you are reading some mail or a book or something like that, and you want to keep that as a reference. You can save it in your Envision library, and that means that any device that you log into your Envision account will have access to all those documents. So the glasses could be just one of several devices that you have logged into your Envision account. You could have, I guess in an extreme situation, a personal iPhone and an iPhone that your employer has given you for work. You could have an iPad logged in there and they can all access those documents that your glasses have scanned and saved to the Envision library. Another reason too, and we'll see more of this, I'm sure, as the product develops, is that your Envision account can connect to other accounts. For example, Ira, you connect to the two accounts together. Dean says, I was amazed with the sign reading when you were being driven around by your Richard. I would have thought it wouldn't be able to read the whole sign as it would get a fairly short glimpse of it due to the driving speed. I think object recognition is getting better, but still a long way to go. Same goes with color recognition. The currency was very snappy and gave good, clear information. 
Sadly, this product is only for people who lead exciting and action-packed lives, such as you do, and some people I know. It certainly would be cool, though, being hands-free with the glasses, prowling a mall, and have it read shop signage. But in my case, I will have the iPhone 14 Pro to try this with image detection mode on. Thanks, Dean. And in terms of getting the maximum value from your phone, remember that you can read signage with other apps as well. Envision has its own app that is free, and you can download that from the App Store. But there are also others in this space, including Microsoft's Seeing AI. Another one that I don't hear a lot about is called SuperSense AI. They are doing some very interesting stuff, and I've had some quite good results with SuperSense. They don't seem to have done an update in a wee while, though, so I'm not sure about the status of that project. I hope that it's still alive and active and that we'll continue to see developments from them. It might be interesting to do a comparison at some point. I have to think very carefully about the methodology so we can try and be fair But there are a number of these apps out there, and it would be cool to kind of put them through a consistent test that would make a fun episode. But it is an interesting topic of conversation. So if people want to comment on these apps, Seeing AI, Envision, SuperSense, some of the other ones that are around too, let me know which ones you find work best and why. And of course, all those ones have something in common. They're kind of Swiss army knives on the iPhone. They do a little bit of everything. Instant text, scanning stuff, maybe color detection, etc. There are also scanning specific apps. And one that I find is very good, actually, is the VoiceStream scanner app. That's part of the VoiceStream suite. And I do have a small correction to make from last week's review. And I mentioned in that review that the glasses have a light detector and we demonstrated the two modes of the light detector. Envision AI's app does not include a light detector and I said that it did. I got it confused with Seeing AI, which does have a light detector channel, but in the case of Envision for now, they've kept the light detector for the glasses. So my apologies for that. Christian Bertling writes, I have an efficiency hack for the Envision glasses and personal hotspot on the iPhone. You can create an automation in Siri shortcuts. You can create an automation that turns it on when you leave the house, another automation that turns it off when you get to the office, another automation that turns it back on again when you leave the office, and finally, a fourth automation that turns it off when you get back home. Genius! Good idea, Christian. Siri shortcuts are amazing, and you can really do some super-duper things with them. Kay says that was a great demo of the Envision glasses. I'd be afraid of getting stuck, like the people with note-takers, barcode readers, and horizon glasses that are no longer supported. I think of those who loved their Opticons. They were life-changing. I know those who prefer them to OCR that is currently available. Thanks, Kay. It's a lot of dosh. And I understand your reticence because it's a proprietary system. The glasses are the Google Glass Enterprise Edition 2, so they're glasses that are out there. But in terms of the way they are talking, the operating system, the software, that's all done by Envision. So I understand what you're saying. We are taking a leap of faith in the sense that we hope that Envision is well-funded, that they're doing okay, that the investors are not going to pull the plug that this is technology that will be around for a while. Hello once again, Jonathan. This is Roy Nash from Little Rock, Arkansas. I want to tell you how much I appreciated the demo of the Envision glasses that you did on your last podcast. 
you did your usual thorough, outstanding job. The documentation on these glasses is absolutely superb, as you pointed out. I got my glasses about two months ago, and I got them set up just simply using their documentation. I downloaded the Ally app on my wife's iPhone and installed her as my ally. And the day after I got this done, she had an accident and fell and broke her hip and had surgery. And so for the immediate time, she was not able to go downstairs to do the washing. And my wife and I have always had this routine where she would carry the washing downstairs and put it in the machine. And then I would take it out of the machine, put it in the dryer, carry them upstairs, and she would sort the clothes. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me that I didn't know how to use the washing machine. And so I called my ally on my Envision glasses, and with her help, I was able to learn how to use the washer. So I found an immediate use for the Envision glasses. I agree with you that it would be an improvement if they could combine some of the functions, particularly the instant text function with the explore function. But I have enjoyed driving down the road as you did and reading the instant text. I found it very informative. I have worn my glasses from the very beginning, just as you said you did. And uh, I put them on in the morning and leave them on. And uh, I've, I'm surprised at how much I've been able to do that I couldn't do, how much information that I'm getting from the glasses. So I'm looking forward to future updates. And once again, thank you for your demo of these glasses. Thank you very much, Roy. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you're enjoying your glasses. It's always good when your wife is your ally, and I hope that she is fully recovered soon and doing all right. Hi, Jonathan. My name is Matthew Chow. I've been listening to your podcast off and on for a while now. Just wanted to say um, great presentation on the uh, Envision glasses. Wish I could afford them. I'm retired, so <laughs> I really can't, but a couple of uh, a comment or two on those, I would like to see them obviously come down in price, and I'd like to see more attention given to the exploring part where where I agree with you, where it should be able to re look at, identify both things and signage. And also, I'd like to see something done in terms of making them more rugged in terms of standing up to inclement weather and that sort of thing. The other comment I have is I bought an Apple Watch Ultra a few weeks ago. My initial observations are that I really like the sound quality. It's much clearer than the smaller Apple Watch series, and it's a nice watch. However, when I've gone swimming with it, it takes a long time to get the water out of the watch, possibly because of its size, and it sounds muffled when you first come out of the water water even after ejecting the water from the watch. Thanks for that report, Matthew. I have heard good things from several people now about the Apple Watch Ultra. I continue to convince myself I do not need one. They do sound really nice, though. Hey, Jonathan. Scott Davert checking in. I just had a few comments about in the Envision AI glasses. And 
The first one, of course, is that you did a fantastic evaluation slash demonstration of the various features and functions and how they work in your life. I found it very, very intriguing. So thank you very much for doing that. And I really like that you were able to take the Bluetooth transmitter, connect it to your mixer, and get a really nice, crisp, clean recording of the TTS on the glasses. I'd be curious, if you don't mind sharing, what Bluetooth transmitter you were using to make it be stable. I have done this with the Apple Watch in the past for various demonstration purposes, but the one I was using was on some kind of a voice activation mode or something. So every time you activated the watch and made voiceover speak, it would miss the first syllable if you had waited more than 10 or 15 seconds to uh, to interact with it. So if you have something that is better and wouldn't mind sharing the information, I'd appreciate it. The other comment I had is related to access. You probably already know where I'm going with this, and probably a lot of the listeners do as well. We need to develop Braille access for this. The technology is at that point where people can really benefit from the different services this offers. And as someone who only uses Braille on my iPhone, unless I have absolutely no choice, I'm cut off from it. In the marketing, they say, oh, well, you can use it with a Braille display. You can take a picture of a document and send it to your phone, whether it's Android or iOS, and then you can read it that way, which is true. But if I can't take the picture in the first place, how am I going to get it over to my phone? So, okay, that's partial Braille access, but... I can't actually use the applications that are on the glasses in the way they were intended to be used as a Braille user. So I'm really hoping that they will develop some sort of Braille interface for this so that you can interact with it and read the information in Braille, which, by the way, as a deafblind user, would eliminate one of the pieces of the puzzle. So if you think about it, you know, when you're trying to take pictures and things like that, when you can't hear the speech and you can't hear the audio feedback, you're already using two hands. You have your Braille display and you have your phone. Or if you choose to go the route of, say, for example, manipulating the document instead of the phone, uh, either way, both your hands are totally in use. If you had access to these head-worn devices like the Envision AI glasses, then you would still have a hand free to do whatever you needed to do because you would have the glasses on your head and you could read with one hand on the Braille display what you're getting in terms of information. So I really hope that they will look very seriously at adding Braille support very soon. I think that this technology is really at a point where it's not yet affordable for many, but that it's becoming something that people can take great benefit from. And deafblind people in particular need access to all the information they can get. So I'm hoping that the deafblind won't be left behind in terms of this technology. Apple, for their part, with door detection, it kind of works with Braille. Uh, Again, though, you have to either 
find a way to secure your phone so that it's in an appropriate uh, place to take pictures, or you have to carry both devices. And so it's something that would be great in the form of glasses. In fact, I think that was part of my comment before. One other thing, Area has text calling. Hopefully, uh, the Ally app will also get that feature at some point, again, so that deafblind people can also take advantage of this technology. I think we're really at a spot where we're moving forward. Now, we're not quite there yet. I think it'll take another few years, but I would say that those glasses are just one in the many examples that I can think of of technology moving forward and doing so in such a way that it can really benefit people. So hopefully those are things the developers will look at. An excellent contribution with critical suggestions there. Thank you, Scott. I hope that Envision will take that on board. Braille support in these glasses, particularly for deafblind people, would be quite a game changer. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-60-667-36. Let's talk more matters iOS 16 and Brian Gaff in the UK starts us off. Regarding the weird bug reported of either no sound on power-up or stuck in headphone audio, yes, I've had both of these recently, the latter one in the later versions of iOS 15 and the first one in the first two iterations of iOS 16. Indeed, when 02 came out a short time ago, It specifically mentioned the lack of voiceover after the startup, encountered this the night before your show, and had to wait until Monday to get somebody to put my pen in, which is what it wanted, but I could not tell that. Seems a bit daft that you have to trust somebody else to put that in, because the operating system locks you out. Irony, says Brian. I did ring the disability helpline, and we went through all possible ways to reboot, except, of course, the complete reset to factory defaults. He then advised me that I would have to get sighted assistance, but did not mention that the new update fixed it. On looking around the web, I'm led to believe, from what I read, that this might be due to the code used to make the sound on the later versions of the iPhone, not handling the old system very well, and the sound things never get activated for voiceover till after the pin prompt. It kind of makes me wonder if it's the audio channel used for voiceover that the new chip uses for the startup sound. Anyway... Apart from having to turn up the ringtone and notification menu and turn the screen curtain back on, it seems to be behaving. I have just downloaded 03 as I've been having weirdness with email, and time will tell if that is sorted too. At the moment, it does seem to be a bit more power hungry. My battery condition on my 10R is still 91%, so not too bad. But it seems to get low a bit faster than before. 
Thanks, Brian. It's a bit of a worry, this business with voiceover not speaking. And I can now talk about that from personal experience. Yes, often when you do the upgrade to a major new version of iOS, there does seem to be a temporary battery life hit. And then for many, it comes right. But repeatedly, year on year, and I've been doing this long enough now to see the patterns, some people do seem to experience quite significant battery hits when they upgrade. And sometimes they settle down with subsequent little double dot updates. But at other times, the only way around it is to do a complete restore to get your battery life back. Hey, Jonathan, it's Dennis Long. One very frustrating thing, and I noticed it back in iOS 15, and it's reared its ugly head and actually gotten worse in 16, is voiceover seems to have a focus issue. And one very prominent place for that focus issue is if you open the phone app and you go into recent calls and you either with a Bluetooth keyboard or using the touchscreen double tap on an entry, let's just hypothetically say you called me. I could call you. But it calls John Smith 10 entries down or five entries down in the call log. That's a problem. And Android's done a really nice job of starting to catch up. They've made some missteps along the way, not introducing HID. You know, I'll agree with those people. But they've done a nice job. They've built the Braille in. That's a good step. They put the Braille keyboard in last, last year or the year before. And they also made it where you can check and uncheck what's in the menu, you know, the accessibility menu. So they're taking some steps in the right direction. If they can get it together and keep making strides and keep improving, which I hope they do, they could be a real viable alternative and should not be rolled out if Apple can't get its accessibility issues straight. You cannot say... We at Apple care about accessibility and then let major bugs go where you can't do core things with the phone. You can't make a phone call without using Siri. You can't use Apple Music because people have told me, I've had friends tell me that it skips an Apple Music as well. This skipping issue needs to stop, and they need to dedicate whatever resources they need to to fix this issue. Now, it doesn't happen every time. But I don't care. When it's still there from iOS 15, you haven't dedicated enough resources. So they need, they need to get it together and prove that they care about accessibility. Thanks, Dennis. It is that time of year again, isn't it? And I'm not dismissive of what you're saying at all. It's just that time of year again where we're right after a major update to iOS. And we go through these cycles where there is some frustration And you are right, of course. I've talked on this podcast and elsewhere about the concept of equivalency before. If a sighted person was being afflicted with this problem, would it be fixed in a heartbeat? And clearly, if you tap on a contact as a sighted person and it calls the wrong person, that can be fundamentally embarrassing. And it would be one of those show-stopping bugs that would be fixed. Now, that said, I can't duplicate that one, Dennis. And this is one of the things that can make these things difficult to reproduce for the accessibility team. For example, that magic tap one that I cited a couple of episodes ago in the third, was it, beta of iOS 16.1, although they did track that one down nice and quickly, and I'm very grateful for that. There's this whole business of low audio for some people on a call that doesn't affect others. These things are complex, and that's not an excuse because Apple's a trillion-dollar company. 
and they could put more resources into accessibility if they wanted. The old saying about the other person's grass always being greener comes to mind. Google has its bugs too. Yes, they are coming along nicely. The trouble we've got is that every year, Apple comes up with something really substantive in the accessibility area that just locks in their lead. So Google's doing stuff that, for the most part, Apple has done some time ago, and then Apple comes up with something new. Now, you may well argue that's all fine and dandy. If we've got all these new bells and whistles, what's the point if we can't perform the basic functionality properly? And I agree with that. I mean, this thing about the phone call volume has been a frustration for me for a long time, that if I'm on hold with someone, then it's really difficult at times to do other things while you're on hold with the phone. Now, of course, if you've got a Google Pixel, if you're one of the few countries where Google's actually selling the Google Pixel, you could do that thing where they uh, go on hold for you and they call you back or alert you when the call's actually been picked up. So that would be nice. And then, of course, we have the issue where we get all excited about the Braille being finally built into TalkBack, and that's a wonderful initiative, only to find that if you have a head Braille display, you are out of luck, and you can't use your Braille display as a Google device with Android. So I'm not excusing Apple, but what I am saying is there are problems with either mainstream company, and we've just got to hopefully constructively put the pressure on. I hope that when we discuss the bugs that people are experiencing, we are comparing notes. We can hopefully file quality bugs with a view to them being sorted out. But you are right, and we've talked about this before. All the bug filing in the world is not going to help if there's a bottleneck because accessibility at Apple isn't being appropriately resourced to remedy those bugs. For now, my personal view, particularly since I have a head braille display, is I'm hanging in there with the Apple ecosystem. I think it's slick. I think it continues to evolve in exciting ways. I hope that we can constructively provide feedback that will make it better. I'm not personally at the point yet where I think there's something significant on the other side, as it were, that would cause me to forego my considerable investment in apps over the years. Where we all want to be, I hope, is that we have the same degree of choice as sighted people do. Because some people choose Android, they just prefer it for various reasons. Some people prefer the openness, the way you can geek out with Android a lot more. Some people prefer the iOS experience. It is a shame when various accessibility considerations taint the picture or the choice. Hopefully we will get there. Hi, Jonathan. I just started watching... Sorry, not watching, but listening to your podcast like two or three days ago. And I've heard a lot about iOS 16, but I'm wondering, do you think you can do a review or comparison between the new iPhone 14 Pro and the Android um, Galaxy Z Flip? Because I'm thinking about switching because because of all the accessibility issues that you were discussing this week. And just because there's just so many issues that are coming up with Apple's accessibility. And I feel like Apple's just focusing more on the camera. So is there any way you can try to do like a comparison between 
um, Android's TalkBack, and of course, Apple iPhone 14 Pro. Thanks a lot. You're the best and great podcast. That is Alyssa with that contribution. Thank you, Alyssa. Good to hear from you. And it's nice that you've discovered the podcast. If you go back in the archives, so if you've got a podcast client that you're listening through, you can go through the episodes. They're all there. You will find quite a bit of Android a little bit earlier on because I did get a Samsung Galaxy S21 and I was playing with that for a while. We talked about that. We had Ed Green come on from the Blind Android Users podcast and we talked about Android. Also, Nick Zamarelli did a review of the Flip. So we do have quite a bit in the archives, not so much a comparison because it's quite difficult to do that really, but we do talk about these devices earlier on in Mosin at Large. So FOSIC, as we say, FOSIC through the archives and you will find quite a bit of Android-related material earlier on in the show. Balwant, I hope I haven't mispronounced your name too badly. Thank you for writing in. He says, hi, Jonathan. I have been listening to your podcast for a number of years now and find it informative, and I enjoy listening. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I am emailing you for the first time, though, regarding the volume ducking as I was experiencing the same problem on my iPhone SE 2020. Below is the fix which has worked for me, supplied by my computer and phone expert, Brian Nagus, who advises our local group of visually impaired people. Step one, go to your home screen. Step two, turn the rotor to volume. If volume isn't present on your rotor, Open settings and go to settings slash accessibility slash voiceover slash rotor and swipe through the options until you reach volume and double tap to select it. Now, return to your home screen and turn the rotor to volume. Step three, swipe up with one finger repeatedly until the volume is set to 100%. Step four, finish by turning the rotor away from volume. If the volume was already at 100%, then this fix won't have worked for you. But if the volume started below 100%, you should notice an improvement next time you use a keypad during a phone call or try to find buttons during a Zoom meeting. You might now want to remove volume from your rotor. Most people don't need it, and it can result in unintentional voiceover volume changes that can sometimes be difficult to resolve. Here's the explanation for those who want the details. The volume setting on the rotor determines the percentage of the media volume to which voiceover is set. So if it is set to 50, voiceover speech will be half as loud as any music or audio book. Some people like to have voiceover quieter than media, but there is one snag. There is a setting called audio ducking, which comes to your rescue when you try to use voiceover while audiobooks or music is playing. With audio ducking turned on, the volume of the audiobook or music temporarily lowers to allow you to hear voiceover. However, so far as I can determine, audio ducking doesn't operate during phone calls or Zoom conferences, and probably other conferencing systems too. During a phone call or Zoom conference session, the iPhone gives priority to the call or conference and does not reduce their volume so you can hear voiceover speaking more easily. If you have voiceover's volume set to less than 100% of the main media volume, then there is a likelihood that the media signal 
For example, the phone call speech will be too loud for you to hear voiceovers speaking. If you set voiceovers volume to be 100% of the media volume, then the call and voiceover are both talking simultaneously at the same volume. It won't be easy to hear them both, but at least one won't drown out the other. So far as I'm aware, there is no way of setting voiceover to be louder than the media volume. You might be wondering why I recommend putting volume on the rotor if it isn't there already. People may begin their voiceover journey with volume on the rotor and use that rotor position deliberately or unintentionally to change the volume setting. They may then decide to remove volume from rotor, but without setting voiceover volume back to 100%. The only way to restore voiceover volume to 100% is by returning volume to the rotor and using it to reset the volume. Of course, if you want to keep volume on the rotor, you can adjust voiceover volume whenever you want, and you could always adjust it to 100% before making a phone call or joining a Zoom meeting. But for most of us, it's simplest just not to have the volume setting on the rotor. I hope this information will be of use to your listeners that were experiencing the same problem. I would make one addendum to this excellent set of instructions that may help some people who are not experiencing this bug, but are experiencing something different because voiceover volume by default is set, I believe, at 80%. And that is that you might want to check how you've got a setting set in accessibility, voiceover, audio, and then I believe it's under sounds and haptics. There's an option there that determines whether the rotor volume controls the entire volume or just voiceover volume. And you want to make sure that it's only controlling voiceover volume before you attempt these steps. And I also want to thank Mike Thomas, who got in touch with the same advice. Thank you very much, Mike. It's good to hear from you. And I'm not playing the contribution because it's a duplicate, essentially, of what I just read out. But hope you'll stay in touch. Now, I have plenty to say about this issue of the low voiceover volume on calls. I want to thank Jana Schroeder for raising this a few weeks ago because it really got me motivated to think about this and do what I can to help because it's something that I've been experiencing for some time. I know that not everybody listens to every episode. You've got a life, right? So let me just recap this issue for those who haven't been following it. The issue is that some callers report that when they make a phone call, voiceover is so quiet that it's pretty much impossible to hear voiceover when somebody is saying something or when you're on hold and music is playing away on hold. Now, as I said when Jana raised this, the way that I used to get around it was that there was an audio destination rotor option that you could rotate to as long as you could hear voiceover clearly enough and you could flick up or down, change the audio destination and voiceover would come back at an acceptable volume. But for some time, when you're on a call, that audio destination rotor item hasn't been appearing for me so it hasn't been possible to change it even though it is still selected on the rotor. Now, some people have chimed in and said that they have fixed the problem using the method that was just so very clearly described. So I've left that in, but I don't think this is the same bug. And I'm pretty confident that the bug that we are talking about, which some people may not have heard, and so they don't appreciate how faint voiceover can get, is specific to made for iPhone hearing aids. 
Now, I've spent a lot of time on this in the last couple of weeks. When I got my iPhone 14, I took one for the team and decided to set it up as new for a while. The reason why I did that was I wanted to see if the problem persisted when I hadn't changed any defaults. And I can tell you that the problem does persist. If you set up, the phone is new, you don't change anything, it is still really bad. This was happening for me with my made-for-iPhone hearing aids, and it was also happening when I would switch on my new Sony WM1000XM5 headphones, which are a great product, but that has to be one of the worst product names in history. When I used the headphones and made a phone call, I still got the problem. VoiceOver exceptionally quiet on a call and no way to change it. Now, I'm pretty confident I understand what's happening because when I went back and I looked at the contributions, some of which I've played and I have been having some email conversations with others who didn't want their contribution included, Of those contributions where I was absolutely certain they were experiencing this same issue that I'm talking about and that Jan is undoubtedly talking about, the common denominator appeared to be made for iPhone hearing aids. To test this out, I unpaired my made for iPhone hearing aids from my iPhone 14 Pro Max and I restarted the phone and then I enabled my Sony WM1000XM5 headphones. And when I made a phone call, with voiceover set to 100%, it was very clear. In fact, it was almost too loud with voiceover at 100%. But everything was working as I expected. There is no way that I would have a problem hearing voiceover if I'm on hold on a call. I pair my made-for-iPhone hearing aids again the problem returns. Now, I'm not clear that this is the case for every manufacturer of made-for-iPhone hearing aids, but I'm pretty confident that everybody who has reported this issue is not using the same brand as me. So if it's not a universal problem with made-for-iPhone hearing aids, I think what we can say is that it is a widespread problem with made-for-iPhone hearing aids. So here is what you can do. If you pair your made-for-iPhone hearing aids and you make a call and you find that voiceover is super quiet, even when voiceover is set to 100% on the rotor, if you have something that can plug into the lightning port, an external audio device, like even the old Apple EarPods, in my case, I connect a cable that goes to my mixer, connect that, toggle voiceover off and back on again, and disconnect it so that your made-for-iPhone hearing aids are back connected to the iPhone again. What I have found is that every time without fail that I do this trick, the problem goes away until I restart voiceover. That could be either by toggling voiceover off with a triple tap of the side button and then toggling it on again, or a restart of the phone. But as long as you keep voiceover on after doing this trick, you're going to have good volume, or at least I do. This is consistent. Toggle voiceover off and on again, and it will go back to the horrible volume. I have now submitted a detailed report to Apple Accessibility. It was really detailed, and I talked about all the various things that I've tried, including obviously setting up the phone as new. And I'm very confident about these steps. 
Apple accessibility were fantastic. Within a very short period, they had written back to me thanking me for the detailed bug report, and they sent me a profile to install on my iPhone, which has a limited shelf life, which did some pretty low-level Bluetooth logging. And what I was able to do for them was do this trick I talked about with something external audio plugged into the lightning port and then disconnected again, and I made a call where the problem was not there. I then turned voiceover off and back on, and the problem was back, so I made another call, and then I was able to send my logs to Apple and say, okay, have a look at what's going on with the audio subsystem when I made the call with the bug not present, and then again when I made the call with the bug present. So they have this data now. They were grateful for it. They said they had passed it on to development. Now, if they can reproduce this and fix it, who knows what priority it will get. I understand all these bugs compete for limited development resources. And I'm biased because this one affects me and it affects me quite badly. But I do think that you're dealing with quite a vulnerable population here made for iPhone hearing aid wearers who also use voiceover. I should say that when it goes into this mode, standard notification sounds are not affected. So if you get a ping from your email client or some other push notification when you're on a call, thankfully voiceover doesn't speak that on a call and that's deliberate because it would be distracting. But the sound of the notification is very clear. It's only voiceover that seems to be affected. Now, here's another made-for-iPhone hearing aid wearer experiencing this. Imka says, I find that this happens to me a lot, regardless of whether I am streaming to the hearing aids or the speakerphone or using the receiver as normal. In addition, voiceover's response to touch gestures during a phone call seems to be somewhat erratic and sluggish, which makes matters even more difficult. For me, having the audio stream to the hearing aids is still the best option because it gives me the best chance at deciphering anything that voiceover is saying. However, I have learned that whenever I need to make a phone call during which I need to press additional numbers on the dial pad, which is often the case these days when calling businesses, I have a braille with a lowercase b display on hand for efficient access. I don't seem to have the problem in Zoom as much, but it is difficult to hear voiceover when someone in the meeting is talking and the speech from voiceover can also be distracting from listening to the meeting. Therefore, I also prefer using a Braille display when I am in an online meeting. The Braille display is a great workaround when one is available, but it would be great if we as a community could figure out a solution to these issues. That also help during audio-only use. I am currently using an iPhone SE second generation 2020 that is running iOS 15.7, but I have had this issue on earlier iPhones as well. Yeah, I think this is something we need to convey. It is so bad when it happens for made-for-iPhone hearing aid wearers that you cannot hear the keypad. If some IVR system is waffling away, either with a long series of menu options or just a lot of spiel, and you know the option that you want, you cannot hear the option that you know you need to press until the voice on the other end of the phone stops speaking. That is how faint it is. It is a really horrible bug. And you're right, a brow display will do it also. So will a Bluetooth keyboard because you can also type the numbers on the number row. 
Now, I had a brilliant experience with Apple accessibility over this issue. We'll just wait and see whether it gets resolved and how long that might take. However, another listener has had quite a different experience with Apple in general and is wondering how people find Apple support in general, perhaps outside of the accessibility space. Pam McNeil wrote to Apple Accessibility to complain, and I'll read you the email that she sent them because she sent it to me. She says, I am writing as a voiceover user who relies on good sound quality, but if you feel the below is not your area, could you please pass along the following to whoever at Apple deals with such matters? I did just spend about half an hour on the phone trying to get a resolution. I purchased my iPhone SE second generation on the 18th of July 2020. I had heard this model had excellent sound quality, and as a blind person who listens to talking books, I felt this was the right phone for me. About five months ago, the speaker near the top front of the phone, which also houses the camera, started distorting. I googled the issue and proceeded to take the actions recommended, such as checking the phone was not on do not disturb, sliding the ringer up and down, and even resetting the phone. However, nothing has worked. A friend advised me to pursue the matter with Apple, and so I called just now. While waiting to be put through to the correct department, the AI asked me to input my phone number. However, when I tried to do this, I didn't have enough time to input the numbers. However, I did get put through to someone to deal with my issue. The person I spoke to was difficult to understand and likewise seemed to have trouble understanding me. I am unsure why, as I have a very clear voice. I also got the impression he was deliberately misunderstanding me as he kept bringing odd issues into the conversation, such as raising the issue of attaching the phone to a speaker which is irrelevant since I need the built-in phone speakers to work correctly. Although I explained I am blind when he asked me to read things out to him, he really seemed to have great trouble appreciating this means I can't see, as he kept telling me to look for things. Anyway, long story short, we eventually concluded the phone would have to be serviced by a technician. However, despite me giving my postcode, He couldn't seem to find a shop nearby for me to take the phone to. In the end, he mentioned a place in Auckland, and I said, no, I live in Upper Hutt. I mean, that's a long way for those people who aren't aware. That's like a 400-kilometer difference. And he tried to refer me to a shop in Rabina. I said, you're joking, that's in Australia. He went silent, so I ended the call, as I felt I was wasting my time. I have been an Apple user for some time, but am so disappointed by the phone's performance and the lack of service I just received, I'm wondering if I will remain with the brand. Can you help, please? And Apple Accessibility wrote back with this. Thank you for your email. We apologize for your recent support experience with Apple Care that left your iPhone's repair needs unresolved. We can submit feedback on your behalf if you provide us with the case number from that interaction. With regard to getting your iPhone serviced, we are unable to set up repairs or other service calls via this address. We recommend to either contact Apple Care Support again to connect with someone who can set up a repair or view your service options at getsupport.apple.com. 
Pam has sent an addendum to all of this, and she says, Hi, Jonathan, since I know you discuss Apple issues on your podcast, I thought I would send my complaint to you. While it is apparent that the person who replied does not believe this issue falls within their area of work, I found the advice to send it on with the case number of the issue unhelpful, to say the least. If the initial note sent by me had been read properly, it will have come as no surprise to realize that I simply didn't get a case number. I didn't go into detail in my note to Apple Accessibility, but the man I spoke to at Apple was downright rude. He kept sniggering and even started calling me spam after we had established what my name is. I found this guy completely obnoxious and thought Apple should know about the caliber of some of its employees. But I have to conclude they don't care. Putting all this aside, I am wondering if any one of your listeners has experienced the issues I have had with the camera speaker on their iPhone SE 2020. This is an interesting one, isn't it? Because a few months ago, I had a spate of listener concerns being expressed that Apple Accessibility, when you called their accessibility hotline number, were actively rejecting calls that they perceived were not accessibility related. Now, we don't actually have a toll-free number for Apple Accessibility in New Zealand. So if you want to call it, you have to call it on the Australian number. And many mobile plans these days do have free calls to Australia built in, so that's not a big deal. But I wonder whether had Pam called that number, she would have got rejected because they would have said the iPhone speaker isn't accessibility related. And yet it's particularly important as a blind person to her. So she went through the regular channel. They clearly don't understand about what being a blind person is. They gave her the runaround. And then what surprises me is that nobody at Apple Accessibility wanted to just take ownership of the problem and make this right for the customer, because that's the sort of thing that Apple used to be known for. So what I would hope would happen is that even if it's not possible for somebody at Apple Accessibility to make the appropriate appointments and do the research, surely there must be a means of looking at the Apple ID. Assuming that Pam is writing from her email address, there's a good chance that that email is the Apple ID. Looking that up, if there was a case number assigned to this debacle, finding that out, contacting somebody who could take ownership of the problem and saying, look, we've got an unhappy customer here. We need to make this right. And for good measure, given that Pam says that she was being called spam by the rep and the whole thing was just a a very negative experience, chuck in a $50 iTunes gift card, for goodness sake. This is not what people pay top dollar to Apple for. Let's go back to an issue that was raised a few episodes ago, and Daniel says, Hi Jonathan, I'm having what seems to be a focus issue with voiceover in the app switcher. I'm running the latest version of iOS on an iPhone 12. I've tried the usual troubleshooting steps with no success. When I bring up the app switcher, there is an app in focus, but if I try swiping left or right, I hear the sound that you hear if it is the only app in the app switcher, even though it isn't. I can double tap and bring them all up. I've figured out this only happens if I bring up the app switcher while in an app. If I bring up the app switcher from the home screen, the app switcher works like it should. When I am having the problem, I can touch the screen and it will work like it should. Have you heard of anyone else having this problem? It only started happening with iOS 16. Any help would be appreciated. 
Thanks, Daniel. Good to hear from you. Dean Charlton mentioned this in his contribution, and I had heard of it, and I've not experienced it myself, but I had been told that one magic bullet to fix it was that if you have the invert colors option on, switch it off, and that should fix it. Now, Dean tells me it has not fixed it for him, but I'm also told that in iOS 16.1, which is about to drop in the next couple of days at the time that this podcast is published, that issue is fixed. And while we're on the subject of things fixed, the ability to add widgets to the lock screen and customize your lock screen seems much better than it was. So people who found that a bit confusing before, I'm not sure that it's super intuitive now, but it's way better. So you might like to have another play with that. I've got my lock screen rocking. I've got my next appointment there at the top. I've got a just press record widget. So if anything ever happens, you know, I'm being refused service or something just needs to be recorded, I can just double tap a button right from my lock screen and just press record starts to record. I love that. And I have that on my Apple Watch as well. And I've also got the weather conditions. So I've got my lock screen customized in a really cool way. What's on your mind? Send an email with a recording of your voice or just write it down. Jonathan at mushroomfm.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or phone our listener line. The number in the United States is 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-60-667-36. Hey, Jonathan, it's Steve Bauer out of Wichita, Kansas in the United States, and I've got several quick points to make based on things that have been talked about over the last few editions of Mosin at Large. Well, it's at the top of my bucket list, and that is to go to Jam Creative Productions down in Dallas and to sit in on a session of them recording jingles. And someday, I hope that maybe I'll be able to actually purchase my own jingles for my radio shows. I got my first Opticon back in 1977 and used it extensively throughout my work career. I still have actually three Opticons. Two are safely stored away, and the one sitting here on my desk gets used almost every day. It's one piece of technology that I could not live without. Well, I'm still fighting with my iPhone and the iOS system, usually once or twice a day when just moving between apps or messages in email or text messages, voiceover just stops and I have to press the button on the right side of the phone and then I press it again and voiceover is back on and I have to log back in and get going again. Notifications are still not working correctly and that is so frustrating. Whether it's a text message, a weather alert, breaking news, earthquake notice, you name it. For example, I can reach over and pick up the phone and then all of a sudden it's like an avalanche of notifications. All of the messages are coming in, other breaking news, everything is coming in, just crashing in all at once. And sometimes it could be up to an hour or more later after they came in that I actually get them because the notifications are being held up and delayed. The third thing that's happening with the phone is sometimes when I answer a phone call, voiceover is just speaking all kinds of stuff on the screen. And I haven't figured out a way to stop it. And it basically doesn't even allow me to hear the voice of the person that is calling. It's kind of obnoxious, so I'm not sure how to best deal with that mess. But iOS, you still have some problems to solve. 
Now, the one thing that has annoyed me a lot lately is the problem with the sleep timer on the Bard mobile app. It is broken. So if I have the sleep timer on, say for 15 minutes, the book will play along like it's supposed to and fade out just like it's supposed to. He knew just by looking in her eyes that they had a future. She didn't care about the past. All right, now there it faded out just like it is supposed to. But let's see what the timer says now. Under the previous way it worked, when it worked correctly, it would tell you to double tap twice to cycle through the different timer options. You know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and so on. But now, here's what it says. Sleep timer button. Less than one minute remaining. Less than one minute remaining. The way it used to work, I could double tap on the sleep timer and continue listening. But now... Sleep timer. 15 minutes. So if I go down to the stop and play button... Stop button. Double tap to stop. But we're already stopped. So I'll hit double tap on stop. Stop. Play button. Now the play button is there. And sometimes this procedure has to be repeated more than once. Now that the play button is showing, I can go back to the sleep timer, double tap on it, and the book will resume playing. It's broken. It doesn't work like it should. It's rather annoying because sometimes you have to go back and press stop and play multiple times before it will start playing. So I hope NLS will deal with this on their next release. Oh, I know that the Bard app is a very precious app to many blind Americans. So if you are having problems with the app, I think I heard somewhere that they just did a significant redesign. Let us know how you're getting on. Hi, Jonathan. My name is Umberto. I've been listening to your podcast. It's such a great podcast. And I just uh, wanted to comment on the question you posed concerning your IRA should prioritize paid customers or should IRA take off their free program. I've been an IRA user for a couple of years and I started using IRA like when kind of when it started and I really enjoyed their services now. I do understand though that IRA is a for-profit company. It is a business and they need to feed themselves somehow, somewhere. A large number of blind people, you know, especially in the United States, there's like 70% are unemployed. Yes, IRA does have a, a job seeking program where like 30 minutes of tasks that they can help you achieve, like a resume or like if you're an unfamiliar interviewing site, like in person, uh, they can help you map it out and navigate. Uh, but other than that, they just have that. And a lot of folks who are underemployed, I happen to be in a position where I'm employed, but I cannot afford IRA. I have a lot of things, other things to do. I have family to care for. I have my own expenses. I have my rents. Rents are going up just everywhere in Seattle, where I live, but just everywhere, you know, the inflation costs. I don't know. I think IRA should be, in my opinion, free. I don't want to come across as like I have an entitlement mentality, but more in the sense that I went to this training center to get my blind skills. In IRA, when they were first introduced, when they came out, they have their five-minute free call that you can make any just any time. Not it doesn't it didn't apply for like you know twenty-four hours like they do now. You can make five minutes, five-minute free calls just any time. You just you just you can make any call anytime during the day. You just limit it to five minutes, and you can call back, and you get the same agent or whatever. 
for five minutes. So they really helped me a whole lot, like for my grocery shopping. If I needed to to chase down a Uber delivery person or an Uber driver, they really helped me out. If I'm going grocery shopping and I need to like see what the label says, the expiration date, I can direct the trained agents can really support. They can really like make it easy and very efficient for me with just the iPhone camera. They're really good at doing their, their jobs. And I don't think uh, they should like prioritize paid customers or free customers. I recently moved and I had to use Be My Eyes. I can use Be My Eyes, by the way, but Be My Eyes, they're all helpful. But again, they're volunteers that they may not know like something or they may not have the accessibility training or the, the training that an air agent requires to help. They're what they're called like visual. They just get the visual information in an objective manner. Whereas Be My Eyes, I was trying to get my TV set up. Be My Eyes, literally I got a guy, like literally he said like, oh, sorry, sorry, my friend. I, I, I You should call someone else. You should call someone who can help you troubleshoot who is more knowledgeable than I do. I'm sorry. And like he literally said that straight up. All I needed to know is like what setting does what, like what program does what. Can you just reading information? Like all that's all that's all I needed to know. And the IRA agent probably would have helped me more with that inquiry. Thanks so much for taking the time to give us that alternative perspective, the perspective of somebody who really would feel the loss if the IRA free program were to be taken away. Over on Twitter, Tanya Harrison said that one compromise might be to offer a prepaid program for IRA with minutes that don't expire. So without having a monthly plan, you could buy minutes and they never expire. You have them until you use them. That would generate more revenue for IRA than simply giving the minutes away. And it would also perhaps just lessen the burden on the system. I suppose the counter argument would be there would be still people who may not be able to afford even that. Rebecca says, I've had long waits with IRA and most of my calls are business related. However, is it possible that the beta programs are contributing to the long waiting times? I'm referring to the new browser-based app. IRA may be going through some growing pains, and this may be a no-win situation. Please remember that the community complained that IRA is too expensive and not accessible to those who can't afford it. We can't have it both ways. As IRA continues to grow, could paying and non-paying customers expect different types of services? Could some IRA explorers make better use of other tools? Could IRA warn customers about peak calling times? Maybe customers who do not wish to pay should use Be My Eyes for tasks that are not sensitive. Ira has partnerships with many businesses, and some of the non-paying customers may be using a service provided by another business, for example, Ira Access Locations. I have learned to be patient and will try to call back later. Ira can't be the only tool at our disposal. We should always have a fallback plan. Ira recently sent out an email informing explorers about rate changes that will be implemented next year, unless the customer is on a plan already. 
If you think you will use Ira, try signing up for the $29 plan if you can lock in the current rate. Transcripts of Mosin at Large are brought to you by Numa Solutions, a global leader in accessible cloud technologies. On the web at numasolutions.com. That's P-N-E-U-M-A solutions.com. Hello, my name is Matthew Horspool from Coventry here in the UK. If you're an iPhone, iPad or iPod Touch user and you also use Braille, you've no doubt already come across Braille Screen Input. It's a very handy way of being able to input text using Braille on the touchscreen of your iDevice. One of the things that has historically not been so convenient in Braille Screen Input, though, is making a mistake, because having made a mistake, you've had to rotor out of Braille Screen Input to characters or words or what have you, find the mistake use the delete button to delete it and then go back into Braille screen input to Braille what it is that you actually wanted to Braille. And uh, in many cases, I've personally resorted to the on-screen keyboard at that point because it's just been easier. Well, thanks to a post on appleviz.com, I've recently discovered a much easier way to edit within Braille screen input. And I'd just like to quickly demonstrate this to you now. I'm using an iPhone 14 Pro running iOS 16. It definitely works in iOS 16. I don't know whether it works in iOS 15 or earlier because, as I say, I only discovered this on appleviz.com about two or three days ago. But I'll wrote around to Braille screen input. Mentions, misspelled word, edit. Braille screen input, orientation locked, landscape, tabletop mode, contracted. Okay, and I will just type. I'm in a message at the moment. I hope you are having a good day today. Okay, so as it happens, I didn't make any mistakes in that message, but there you go. You know, it, it's it, I might have done. What I'm now going to do is use my left hand. You could use your right hand if you wanted to. I just find it easier to use the left hand. And I'm going to hold down the letter A. But again, I could hold down dot two or dot three or dot four or dot five or dot six. The, the key is to hold down a dot. So I'm going to hold down one finger on the left hand. Exploring mode two. Now, I have to keep my finger held down. This is very important. As soon as you release your finger, you will come out of exploring mode. But having held down that finger, I'm going to swipe down with two fingers on the opposite hand. So in my case, on the right hand, I'm going to swipe down with two fingers. Word exploring mode two lines, characters, words, lines, characters, words. Lines. And you can see it's moving between characters, words, and lines, a bit like what happens on the rotor. Characters, words. So I'll go to words. If I uh, swipe up with two fingers, by the way, it goes the other way around. Characters, lines, words, characters, lines, words. So words is what I want. And I'm now going to swipe left with two fingers. Today, today, good, day, having, are, you, hope. Okay. So you can hear that it is moving the cursor as though I was rotoring to words and, and moving around. So I'll go back the other way. Hope you are having a good day. Okay, hope you're having a good day. Maybe I want to change that. Maybe I want to say, hope you are having a great day. The first thing I need to do in order to make this happen is move the cursor from where it is now at the end of the word day to the start of the word day. So I'll swipe left with two fingers. Day. Now the cursor's at the left end of day. And so now, if I release my finger on the left hand, I can now swipe left with two fingers. Good. And you'll see that it's deleted the word good. So that the swipe left with two fingers gesture has now returned to what it would normally do. And I'm now going to type great, G-R-T, 
Great. And space. So now I'll go back into exploring mode by holding down with one finger. In exploring mode, one. Fantastic. And I will, why it's saying one, two, I'm not sure. I think that's the dot that I'm holding down. But I'm now going to try and read by line. So I'll swipe uh, down with two fingers. Line exploring mode. Okay. And it's got a bit of extra verbiage there, but I can now swipe left. I hope you are having a great. Okay. And it's it's read up to where the cursor was. So if I swipe right. I hope you are having a great day today. Okay, so you can see that the message now says, hi, hope you are having a great day today. There are one or two other gestures. I think if I swipe, uh, it, I'll go to characters actually, characters. swipe down with two fingers. If I swipe left with three fingers. Space, stop, stop. selected, Y, selected, A, selected, D, selected. So you can see that does text selection. If I swipe right with three fingers. D, unselected, A. Why? Full stop space. Unselected. So that that unselects. Swiping up and down with three fingers doesn't seem to do anything. So as I say, I only discovered this a couple of days ago. This is not a comprehensive demo. I'm sure there are other gestures in there that I haven't discovered yet. I'm sure there are probably other things you can do in this mode. But even with just those few gestures, using Braille screen input just got a whole lot more useful. So hopefully other people will find it useful too. And uh, in the meantime, thanks very much for listening. Brilliant demo, Matthew. Thank you very much for putting it together. I wonder how long this has been around for. I don't think it's been that long. And I like to think that if I spent the time now that I used to back in the old days of writing the iOS books, I would have found this and I would have been able to write it up whenever it was added. So part of me was pretty pleased that Apple really didn't go out of its way to document new features in voiceover. They didn't do videos about what's new or anything like that because it helped me make a pretty good living. We sold many, 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 many thousands of those iOS books. So thank you for buying them. But now that I don't have time to write them, I kind of think, why doesn't Apple actually do this stuff themselves? Why do they leave us to our own devices for a lot of these features? to discover them. Interesting, isn't it? But anyway, it's good that people are. I get to use the word fossicking twice in the same podcast. Fossicking around the operating system and finding these things out because this is a big deal. And I should say that I did go to Apple's website. I searched quite comprehensively for what documentation Apple has on Braille Screen Input. And Braille Screen Input is documented. And there are commands documented. But this feature is not. I believe we are going to Sweden for this email. I say this with some confidence because there's a plus four six number in the signature and having come back from Sweden recently in Stockholm, that's the country code for Sweden. Good detective work, eh? And it's Carl Otto who's writing in. He says, hi, Jonathan. I found your podcast through the Program L mailing list where I saw a tip about the presentation of Remote Incident Manager and the presentation the authors did. Anyway, I heard the episode where you discussed the dot pad, and I wondered if you'd tried the Orbit Research Graffiti that seems like a very similar product. I confess that I haven't scrolled through all the episodes of Mosin at Large to check. I think we'll forgive you, Carlotto, because there are an awful lot of them these days. He says, I'm curious about these products in the context of being a software developer. Would they be useful when designing user interfaces in Visual Studio? Would it be useful to mirror an Android or iOS simulator during development to get a real feel for the layout of the user interface I've designed? The graffiti sports a price of $14,995 US dollars, 
So it's quite hefty for me as a sole trade company just for testing if it's useful. Therefore, I'm interested in hands-on reviews or similar and thought of you. Carlotto, I have not had my hands on one of these, and it reminds me that we really should extend an invitation to Orbit Research to have someone come on and talk about the range of products that they have. If anybody from Orbit Research happens to be listening, they're very welcome. It would be great to do that. He continues, when I first started the episode with RIM, I thought that your voice was familiar, and then it struck me. I've been a beta tester of Fusion since its first appearance, and you had their podcast back in the day. Your review of the iOS 16 beta was interesting, and when it was released, I tried the door detection on my work phone, iPhone 12 Pro. Needs more practice, I think. Have you used the handwriting on the screen that you can use when voiceover is running? I think it's somewhat faster to use than the virtual on-screen keyboard. I found and reported a bug in iOS 16 for the handwriting. You can't write a lowercase i. It always becomes a lowercase l. Apple has confirmed this, and I hope they'll fix it in the upcoming dot release so I can update my primary phone, iPhone 12 mini. Thanks, Carlotto. See, it's really cool that there are so many ways to get data into an iPhone these days. I can remember when I got my first iPhone, all you could do was double tap each letter. And maybe split tap as well, I think. But that was pretty much it. And over the years, there have been more and more input methods added, including dictation and braille screen input, the various ways of using the on-screen keyboard, and handwriting. And of course, you can use external keyboards and braille displays. That wasn't possible when VoiceOver was first introduced to the iPhone either. For me, my handwriting is just useless, and it's not an input method that I would ever consider using. But I am fortunate that braille screen input comes as second nature to me, and I am able to get info into the phone using the virtual keyboard with braille screen input at quite a decent clip. So that's my input method of choice most of the time. It's good that handwriting is there, though, and it's important that that handwriting bug be fixed. Perhaps by the time we play this, it already will have been. Thank you very much for writing in. I'm glad you've discovered the podcast, and I look forward to hearing from you more in the future. Sweden's a lovely place, by the way. The air felt so fresh and clean when we were out there. Now here's Janine Stanley, and she says, Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for the interview with Eric of DOT. I got my hands on one of the prototypes at the NFB convention, and the thought of being able to view graphical information in real time was so exciting. I love tactile graphics. I am also fascinated by reports in the Salesforce app Looker. Unfortunately, these reports, also called views, are for the most part inaccessible. I can't wait to run my fingers over a Looker view as presented by a dot pad. Sadly, the cost of such a device would be out of the range of many, if not most, individuals, but it would certainly be great to know that such a thing could be done, and those of us who do work with various business productivity tools like Salesforce Looker, PowerPoint, Spreadsheets and more could have a meaningful experience with that data. As it stands, we rely on another human to interpret that data. This is fine, but doesn't really give the entire experience of viewing a graph and interpolating information from it. If I could view the data myself, I might make a very different conclusion than the person telling me about it, 
because I'd know exactly what parts I was interested in and could then add to those parts by viewing all of the data, not just what's convenient to describe in a meeting. I do think that eventually tools like this will open career opportunities for blind people, and I applaud DOT for moving the technology forward. Speaking of multi-line Braille with a lowercase b displays, I'm sure you'll be covering the Orbit Research displays due to be available in October. I really appreciated the three-line display, though it was only a static model. I saw it in FB this summer. The five-line one was a bit too small per line for me. Who would have thought we'd be talking this much variety in displays and research into displays? Thanks very much, Janine. It is exciting, isn't it? The Braille Renaissance is a happening thing, and I love that. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. Robin Christopherson is writing in and says, Great show as always. I'm nearly caught up, so apologies if this has been covered already. But in the Messages app, you can also record a voice message by simply raising the phone to your ear. I'm pretty sure this has been around for a while, but with the new layout in iOS 16, this might be a useful tip for many. It still works if you have AirPods in, but I can't be sure about connected hearing aids, etc. Of course, it will probably also work if you raise it to a cheek or palm, say. Yeah, it doesn't work so well when I'm using made-for-iPhone hearing aids, Robin, which is unfortunate. But it's a really important point because most people don't use made-for-iPhone hearing aids. And it does work very well in other circumstances, just raising the phone to your ear. Also, says Robin, and I'm pretty sure I'm in insulting your intelligence territory here, but your mention of taking melatonin to aid sleep prompted me to take a look. The below page gave me pause, retaking it for prolonged periods and also made me hope that your dosage isn't an unsafe one. And the website is nhs.uk slash medicines slash melatonin. Thanks very much, Robin. And I'm certainly not going to be getting into the providing medical advice territory and people should consult their doctor when putting anything into their body. What I can tell you is that I've been taking melatonin for 25 years. What I can also tell you is that melatonin is widely available over the counter in many countries, whereas in the United Kingdom, it is a prescription-only medicine. I think it is still here as well, actually, a prescription-only medicine. But in countries like the United States, which tends to be quite a conservative place in this regard, it is a nutritional supplement, and you can just walk into any number of places and buy melatonin, including at supermarkets like Walmart. So it's treated kind of like a vitamin. And the final thing I will say on this is that I have had two conversations during my career as a broadcaster in the blindness space with Professor Stephen Lockley. And when I last caught up with him, he was still at Harvard. I'm not sure if that's still the case. I first talked to him well over 20 years ago now on Blindline on ACB Radio. And if you go into the archives for the blind side, which is still available online, you will hear the most recent talk with Stephen Lockley, where we talked about blind people with a specific condition called non-24. This is where people who don't have any light perception have their circadian rhythms going into free fall, essentially. And for many of us with non-24, 
melatonin has changed our lives. I wouldn't be able to do my job without taking melatonin. I've not become aware of any side effects over the last 25 years or so, but people should research these things carefully and take advice. What I would suggest, though, is those interested in this can go and listen to Stephen Lockley's interview in the Blind Side archives, and maybe I should resurrect it and put it in the Mosin at Large archives because it is such an important subject. He made an offer then, and that interview was recorded maybe five or six years ago, so I don't know whether Stephen is still practicing, whether the offer still holds, but he said if blind people came across GPs or medical professionals who were not aware of non-24 and the very positive benefits that melatonin can have for blind people, he would be very happy to engage with those medical professionals and clue them in because the literature is overwhelming. And in fact, there is a drug that's available in the United States which is a slightly more professional thing than the nutritional supplement level melatonin, which has had an even greater impact. But it's still melatonin-based, and it's made by a company called Vanda Pharmaceuticals, I believe. So yeah, I was quite surprised at the tone of that page on the NHS website, but it probably explains why melatonin is so difficult to come by in the UK. And I'd be interested to find out from blind people in the UK with non-24, have you had much trouble getting through that barrier? When you talk to your GP about the life-changing benefits for blind people with non-24 of melatonin, do you face much resistance, particularly given the very down tone of that uh, page on the NHS website? Following up on my reading of Sabah Hatton's email and my responses to it, Sabah Hatton is back again, and he says hello again. Of course, by now, that is by then, iOS 16 was released. I expect it took a little to catch up on the mailbag. Absolutely. We've got a lot of email coming in. I'm not complaining about it, but it does mean there can be a bit of a lag between when people send an email and when I get to read it on an episode. He says the punctuation controls and app privacy reports were actually features of later iOS 15 builds. Yes, indeed. It just seemed like a good time to catch up uh, and acquaint people with those features. I'd still hold off, he says, for iOS 16.1 personally if you haven't taken the plunge already. As you said, the widgets are just not very nice from a voiceover perspective. In fact, widgets seem to be a problem wherever they are in my experience, on the watch as well, and in macOS Notification Center. It just doesn't seem to have received any accessibility attention at all somehow. I did look at Pocket Casts, but the desktop apps were basically these weird web things, not all that different from the web player. I expect you know what I mean. Yes, it sounds like they could be Electron apps. Mobile rules everything now, sadly, he says. The iOS app wasn't that bad, actually, but no particular reason to prefer it. I've heard very nice things about the Ubiquity ecosystem from its fans, but it's a bit much if you just need the wireless access points because you need to run a controller device or software. Well, the thing is, Sabahattan, that they've taken care of that now. There's a device you can buy, and there are two flavors of it, the Unified Dream Machine and the Unified Dream Machine Pro. 
And you can always take a look and decide which one might suit your needs. But it is basically an all-in-one router, modem, and most significantly, controller. It's got the access point in there as well. And it's a breeze to set up. Once you get Unify going and you adopt new devices into your Unify ecosystem, it is just such a joy to use. So if you've not familiarized yourself with the Unify Dream Machine range, I'd encourage you to take a look and I'd be interested to hear what you think. He says, at the risk of over-geeking, I actually perform my routing on an old Mac Mini 2012 with Linux on it. And I'm looking for something with a similar degree of flexibility. Microtech might be where I end up, but they are absolutely definitely not for the faint-hearted. Their switches are already serving me well, though, and my network is all 10 gigabit, from the lounge to the bedroom, and everything that can be wired is great stuff. Right now, the internet is over cable, which is the only black spot. It's a monopoly high-speed option and has a 1.1 gigabit downstream, but a mere 50 megabits upstream. Whoa. See, our top speed that we have access to is 8 gigs down and 8 gigs up. Not to rub it in or anything. He says, I would rant about market fundamentalism and the illusion of technological neutrality at this point, but I'll spare you that for now. The important thing is that as soon as proper fiber connectivity gets here, I'll take it up. I agree with you that Boot Camp would be very nice on M-Series Max. Apple have not ruled it out. Apparently, it's down to a licensing deal that Microsoft has with Qualcomm. Technically speaking, the Macs are nothing like other ARM machines, so there would be quite a bit of work between Microsoft and Apple to make it a reality. Although Asahi Linux has done it all by reverse engineering and now works, and parts of that could be theoretically employed or replicated to support Windows. It'll be interesting to see if someone else, motivated by the same desire, gets it going first. It's undeniable that virtualization adds latency, though it's certainly practical for many things now. Still, if you need Windows, it does make sense to keep an Intel or AMD-powered machine around anyway, just to support all the software you have fully. Enjoy the podcast as ever. Hello once again to Aaron Espinosa, who says, Hello, Jonathan. I don't know if you already talked about it, but I would love to hear your opinion regarding Freedom Scientific supporting the Assistive Technology Affordability Act, ATAA, in the United States. They have a video on their YouTube account telling people to contact their representative to support the bill. It didn't pass this year, but it's going to be introduced again, and I'm sure they're going to support it again. Sorry to be cynical, says Aaron, but they would love it if the ATAA were to pass and become law because blind and visually impaired people would have $2,000 every three years to buy new hardware and software from Freedom Scientific. It would be a giant cash cow for them. I would also worry about the ATAA hurting innovation. What do you think? And if you haven't heard it, this is the YouTube clip in question. Freedom Scientific, a Vespero brand. Have you heard of the Access Technology Affordability Act? The ATAA is a bill that makes access technology more affordable to Americans who are blind and visually impaired. 
by creating a $2,000 refundable tax credit for items purchased over a three-year period. This includes items such as braille embossers, refreshable braille displays, screen reading software, and more. Acquiring access technology can empower users who are blind and visually impaired with the necessary tools to create and edit documents, send and receive emails, and access a wealth of information on the internet. The ATAA enables the purchase of equipment needed to achieve success by making it more affordable. Sounds great, right? To get this bill to pass, we need your help. Contact Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and urge them to include ATAA in the Build Back Better Act. You can also reach out to other House and Senate members, including co-sponsors and those who represent your district. Contact us for more info on how to get involved. It seems perfectly reasonable to me, Erin. First of all, your comment on how it might stifle innovation, I think the opposite is the case. One of the problems that we have in our community is that the need is real, but the socioeconomic status of many blind people are dire. We've talked about this, the incredibly high unemployment rate, the fact that people really do have a genuine need for this kind of technology, but they can't afford to get their hands on it. And that creates this awful poverty trap where people could have a greater chance of having employment if they could use this technology to upskill themselves, but it is often beyond their reach. So if you suddenly have this tax credit floating around that meant that more blind people had purchasing power to spend on this sort of technology, it may well encourage new entrants into the market. People get grumpy and protest when people like me make these points, but the reality is that to spread the cost of manufacture across a small number of consumers, as you have to do with things like braille displays and even screen readers, the price is going to be high. If you've got quality products that are well supported by constant software development, by technical support specialists, by quality control engineers, those people have to be paid. And if you can have a situation where more people can get their hands on this technology because of a tax credit like this, then sure, it probably would be a win for Freedom Scientific and other Vispero brands, but it could also encourage new entrants into the market. They're taking the chance that they will stand by their products, that they believe they've got technology that blind people respect and need, and that they will be okay if other entrants come into the market. And who knows, it may well really generate a bit of excitement in the screen reader industry, which I don't think there has been for some years now. I love to hear from you. So if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Posing at large,